Oh my God, Stephen, guess what date I'm really excited for? Thursday, January 14th, 2016. I was going to say January 22nd, my birthday, 2016. Happy, happy almost birthday. But, but even better, January 14th, which is a Thursday, where we're bringing Question of the Day live to the Bell House in Brooklyn. Tell me what you have to say about it. Every fact you stated was correct as far as I can tell. Thursday, January 14th, 7.30 p.m. at the Bell House, so you can get tickets. So basically what it is, it's a live Question of the Day event where James and I will field questions. You can get tickets at thebellhouseny.com. There's going to be an opening act. And then James and I, for an hour or something like that, are going to take questions of the day. And here's the beauty part. You can submit them. So we would like you to send us questions that you think would be good for this live version of question of the day. Use the hashtag QODLive and send it to us at QOD on Twitter. And Stephen, as we promised... You're going to do some stand-up comedy to we open are gonna, it up. Both James and I are going to try for the first time ever to do a tiny bit of live stand-up comedy. How many comedy. minutes are we going to do? I'm shooting for 90 seconds. Uh, you know what? I talked to a professional Which comedian, you, and she said... 90 to, seconds is too much? She, she said two to three minutes is really hard. So maybe 90 seconds is okay. Oh, great. So you're taking something that I already know I'm going to be really bad at and telling me that the version of it that I've chosen is too hard. Thank you. No, no, 90 seconds could be okay. Oh, two, two, two to three, three minutes, minutes is too long? Yeah, two to three minutes, she said, is very hard. Because it's too long or too short? Too long. Really? Okay, yeah. so the 90 seconds is okay. I think yeah. I can be not unfunny for 90 seconds. That's my goal. We'll see if you make it. And one more thing. If you tweet us, here's what we want to do. We want to give away some tickets to this live event, Thursday, January 14th, 7.30 p.m. at The Bell House. That's thebellhouseny.com. We want to give away some tickets. So if you submit your questions to us on Twitter, use the hashtag QODLive. We will randomly pick, let's say, maybe three of you who submit, and we will get you free tickets if you are in New York or you know someone who's in New York who will use them. And we hope to see... Many of you in Brooklyn, Thursday, January 14th. Tickets at thebellhouseny.com. All right, I have a couple more. Shit me. Let me just see how to start this. Could say good morning. Is that too hard to say good morning to me? Actually, I'm not really having a good morning. Uh-oh. What's wrong, James? I think uh, Claudia and I are having a little bit of a fight. Really? Yeah. You want to talk about it on the podcast? Yeah. Like, you know, you have kids, right? Yes. So that keeps, to some extent, uh, whether it's uh, legitimate or not legitimate, an intimacy between you and your wife because you have to kind of raise your children together. It's, it's the old shared enemy Right. Issue. If the not that children are your enemy, but when you have a common cause. Right. You have you a common unite. cause. So Cloudy and I have a common cause in that we love each other, or I think we do, and I think I love her and I think she loves me. But in general, relationships change. And in general in life, one changes and one reinvents yourself and all sorts of things happen. So how do you deal in your marriage when you feel like, you know, intimacy or arguments or other things change, but you know the kids are a constant. Well, so, so you you were the one who asked. You yeah, said good morning. No, I opened the don't, can of worms. Don't say good morning to me if you want the answer. 
I hear you. No, so this is something I think about all the time. And so I definitely appreciate the difference between a couple with kids and a couple without. And interestingly, you know, what you see in divorce rates and unhappiness, et cetera, et cetera, et cetera, when kids go off to college, because, you know, kids are, you know, there seemed, I think this is, I, I haven't looked at this data recently, but I looked at it not too long ago. And I think the peak periods for married couples with kids is when the kids are quite young, when like someone just gets like, like holy cow. Well, because is- kids suck. Right? No, I disagree. I, no, I, I think kids don't suck. Come on. If if Look, I have very strong feelings about parenthood and childhood. So I was a kid once, as we all were, and none of us chose to be born and none of us chose our parents, right? That said, depending on your, you know, your parents and your family situation, it, it really hugely affects how people feel about having kids of their own. I happened to have a really good family as a kid, even though from the outside— it might have looked like uh, a lot of difficulties. There were a lot of kids. I was the youngest of eight. We had very little money. We were we kind of scraped and scrapped and grew most of our own food. This is upstate New York. And then my father died when I was a kid. So there were a lot of what would look to be kind of hardships from the outside. On the other hand, I was very happy as a kid. My family was very loving, and they were very. It was like it was it was just a good. It was a good family, including the fact that there was a lot to be learned from older siblings. So that said, when I got to be child, uh, not bearing age, child fathering age, I really wanted to have kids, and uh, and so I did. I do. And I find it to be a totally different experience. <laughs> Raising kids is totally different than being a kid. All the things that you kind of thought you knew as a child, for me, don't really translate. So, uh, And by the way, I can see, because I see you with your kids. You're a very good father. I, I try to be a good father. But I think you really bond in a really nice way with your children. But that's different than having a baby or a toddler. So that's why you were saying the first thing is when the kids are really young, I think that's the hardest time of a marriage with kids. That and when they leave is what you're leading to. Exactly right. So I wish I had the state at my fingertips. I don't. We could look it up later. And someone can tweet us at QOD if if I turn out to be wrong or Or, right. Or not, because I I like also working on, you know, feelings are facts too. Okay. (laughs) Feelings are facts. Like if you feel you're, you're an adult, if you feel something to be true for you, then chances are it's, it's probably true for most people. Right. So it is true that having kids in the home for a husband and wife or a husband, a husband, wife and wife, whatever the family unit is, having kids and trying to raise them and doing the things that we think are worth doing, many of which are probably not worth doing, but the things that we think are worth doing, is definitely a common cause. And when a couple doesn't have that, then you have a different, you know, your relationship is really different. And I realize there are many, many, many varieties of relationships out there. So I'll give my answer to your question based on a kind of generalizable, uh, and this is totally my opinion because I don't have, I don't know the data on actual relationship, you know, strategies and so on. But no here, data. <laughs> there, probably, there probably isn't a whole lot. But here's what I do know. I know that the way I work in my work life, if I were to introduce that into my home life, it would almost always be totally disastrous. See, and Claudia and I, our work life and our home life is one and the same. Like we work together every day. Probably the only work-related thing I do that is not related to Claudia is you and me doing this podcast. You're like my second wife. <laughs> so let me ask you this. So why do you, why have you made your work and family lives so entwined? Was it an intention? Did, yeah, was because, it an evolution? Was it know, an accident? You know what? We're, we're, we're such close friends in many respects 
that it was just natural to each work in each other's work life. Cause we talk, cause the thing I love most is what I do. I've, I've been fortunate in the past few years only to be able to just totally love what I work. And so I share that with the you know, people I love. I, can I just interrupt for one second and say that I, we've you acknowledged- You like my shirt. I, I like your shirt. We've acknowledged this in the past before, but I think we should remind ourselves and our listeners that we are both way luckier than we deserve to actually do for our work every day what we want to do. Right, and but we, and it's easy to forget that that's a luxury. I remember the first time you pointed that out to me, by the way, and it was in 2003. Really? And it was before Freakonomics came out. It was when both of us were struggling, but still we made it a choice to strive to do what we love. It's not like we had any money. It's not like we had any special advantages. Like, we... I could see you worked really hard every day for like the past 12 years. I've worked really hard. Not to say that my work was harder than what other people do. I think there's a luck factor as well. Yeah. Um, but there's a certain amount of persistence plus loving what you do plus a little bit of luck equals success at what you do. Not that that's the magic equals formula. Equals a higher probability of success. Higher probability of success, hence the luck. Not So that's why I'm saying it's not a magic formula. It's also it's that that formula is compounded by the fact that there are a lot of people out there who would seem to be very successful <laughs> without um, being either that industrious or whatever. I think, but, that's but a, you never know. Like again, this is twelve years, so it's the overnight success equals twelve years, right? That's of true. course, being the most successful thing you've ever done is question of the day podcast. Absolutely, so yeah. Finally, you've achieved your dream. <laughs> All right, but let me let me address this a little bit. So I would I there are two things that I would say. One is. Because I believe that what works in your work life almost always fails in your personal life, at least for me. So for, I'll give you one quick for instance. You know, I'm sure a lot of people have heard the, uh, the idea that just because you're right doesn't mean you'll win every argument or even any arguments, right? Well, so being the- right is no guarantee of winning any argument. We will finish answering this question of the day right after we take this break. Today, FreshBooks has their very own question of the day for you. And if you own your own business or consider yourself an entrepreneur, then you should listen up because this question is specifically for you. And I wish I had something like this when I was running a business. If I say invoicing, expense reporting, and time tracking, what's the first thing that you feel? Anxious, nauseous, frustrated? I could tell you I'm probably somewhere in the middle of all those three. With FreshBooks, you can kiss those feelings goodbye. FreshBooks is the amazing, intuitively designed invoicing software that helps small business owners spend way less time on paperwork while keeping them effortlessly organized. You'll be creating and sending invoices in minutes, watching expenses practically organize themselves, and probably wondering why you didn't start sooner. Try FreshBooks free for 30 days. Just go to freshbooks.com question and enter our show name, question of the day, in the how did you hear about us section while signing up. Again, just go to freshbooks.com slash question and enter our show name, question of the day, while signing up to get your free 30-day trial. 
by the way, I'll, I'll bring up uh, Susan Cain's book, Quiet, where she points out very much so that extroverts aren't necessarily more correct than introverts just because they, they're louder and they speak more. Right, and we've talked in the past, I believe, about men versus women in that regard, too. You told me about Claudia, you know, yes. you're kind of encouraging her to ask a question at a conference. Because it is true, we are absolutely punished and rewarded for traits that have nothing to do with, um, you know, aptitude all the time. But I'm saying what would seem to work well, like, you know, I work 10, 12, 14 hours in a day, let's say, right? And the way that I pursue my work in times of levels of aggression, levels of my, you know, your kind of personal uh, conduct, you know, your choices that you make and so on. I find that if I come home <laughs> and exercise that those same ideas and strategies, I- I'm like a Martian. It-, it just doesn't translate. It doesn't work. So that's for me at least. So I would say for you, part of the problem is the demarcation between work and family. And A, there is no demarcation. And B, the things that might work in one realm are not working in another on the personal. And the other thing I think that um, I've learned in my relationship with my wife, that the best thing I can usually do is to not respond immediately to whatever is causing a friction. So, like, I think a big, big part of being in a relationship, and I did not understand this for many years, and I think partly it's because we get so much of our relationship advice from pop culture, from movies and and books and so stuff. Soap operas? I, I guess so, yeah. Where the for minute me. all of those uh, idioms are dependent on friction and plot and a certain metabolism, which means that the minute someone says something that's a little bit critical or a little bit challenging or a little bit whatever, the other character immediately has to take the bait and respond because otherwise there's no story going on there. And I find that if you do that in real life, that it just inevitably works out really poorly. And that I often think of like the best thing you can do in a piece of writing often is after you've written it and it's sat for a while and you've you've got it where you really like it, the last thing I sometimes like to do, especially for a book, is go back into the manuscript and what I call like blow some air into it. Let the things spread out a little bit. Space I, it out a little bit. Make the pauses. Let the person that you're interacting with, in this case a reader, have time to go with the flow, to rise and fall, da da da, da. And I find that it's really good to blow air into the, the personal relationship too. I think that's true. I think also, uh, like you say, the line of demarcation doesn't really exist. Like my work and love life are exactly the same in some sense. And uh, makes you sound like a hooker. <laughs> well, you know, I think having even letting some space breathe in terms of the time we spend together, whether it's good or bad, allows us to have our own stories that are unique that we could bring back to the table at the end of the day. And I think that's important. I also think not just in writing, but in other areas of life, this is important. Like whether it's um, investing, you know, you, you, you can't invest in something and expect the next day results. You have to let a a company or people grow uh, without your handholding. And then um, the other thing is uh, just in general depression. If you uh, are down about something it's a natural cycle of the body almost to be high and low. And sometimes it's good to just wait until the low, notice the low and wait till the low is passed. But I do find that you're correct. I find I react and it's a challenge for me to kind of take a deep breath and sort of ride the wave a little bit. 
You know, my wife said something to me about me last night. Sorry, not about you. Said something to me that when she first said, it, I kind of wrinkled my brow. I didn't. I kind of didn't get it. And then I really appreciate it. She said, "I just wanted to thank you." I said, "For what?" She said, "This weekend was just a really nice, uh, tension-free weekend in the family." Meaning that we have two teenagers and two parents and all kinds of stuff going on. And usually during the weekend, there's somebody that's got some kind of mini, not a crisis, whatever, but tension or friction, whatever. And she just wanted, she said, I wanted to thank you for the weekend. It wasn't like, and at first I thought, wait a minute, is she saying that I'm the one that always causes the tension or the friction? And because I didn't cause it this weekend, that's why we had the tension-free weekend? Well, that is what she's saying. She's thanking you. Well, here's the thing. Maybe that's true, and even if I'm right in my assessment, what's the upside of interpreting it like that? There's zero upside for me. Well, if to, I challenge her and say, "Oh, thanks a lot," you mean I because I didn't cause any friction? I'm usually the cause of the friction. Then what's the upside in that? I guess there's no upside because then suddenly you would ruin it, <laughs> like you would be causing the first friction of the weekend. But you know. I want to be right all the time. So if she's wrong, <laughs> that's the problem with hanging out with a lot of people who are right all the time. Is they want to be who are right a lot. I mean, this this or, you see you this know, in. But related to wanting to be right all the time is anger, and anger is really mm. kind of a costume for fear. So fear could be the fear in this case could be fear that she was all of the time thinking that you're a problem in the relationship. Fear could be of abandonment. Fear could be of. Uh, someone's judging you that you're not living your life correctly, someone who you love and respect. So a lot of times that challenge is really uh, clothing for fear. Hmm. I like it. What is the anger is a, a what for fear? Like a said? costume for fear. Oh, that's interesting. Because anger is almost like you take fear right. and you perform a logical mathematical mm-hmm. equation to it and it turns into anger at the other person. I, I, You've concluded from your fear through a series of logic that it's the other person's fault. Yeah, I, I like that sentiment. Um, the the first time I came across that sentiment and I'd forgotten it or um, for a long time, but you just reminded me, was in reading the Bible as kind of literature and, you know, socio-historical, whatever. I, I used to do a lot of that. And... Uh, I can't remember if this was in the Talmud, which is a, a long Jewish commentary on the on the Torah, on the Bible, or if somebody else said it, but I, I think it does come from literature. And it said that um, it was asking the question of why God is so like angry and seemingly vengeful and spiteful toward the Israelites, but toward a lot of other people during, you know, during the books of the Torah. And the one answer that I found most interesting, I don't know about true, who knows true, but the one answer that I found most interesting it was is that he was scared because these people were his children, essentially, and that he was really fearful that they were screwing things up for themselves and in relationships with other people and in relationships with him. And that fear as a parent, as a kind of caretaker, presented itself at what looks like a raging anger, but in fact was a costume, as my friend James Altucher has taught me. Well, you know, it's a really good point about parenting, and then I'll, we can round it up to the relationship, but I found the biggest challenge for me over the past decade with my kids, particularly as they grow older, and I have a 16-year-old now, teenage girl, is that to, to totally not judge their actions or control their actions, but to kind of go with the flow with what they're doing and then try to uh, 
get my opinion in there by example, you know, be a good person so maybe they could be a good person back. But there's almost no way to control them. Mm. But to close this off with uh, uh, the relationship, I, I actually don't know how to close it well, off. Well, let me ask you this. If you think that the problem with you and Claudia is now the fact that your personal and work lives are too intertwined, or if, the, if that's at least part of the problem, there are two ways you could go to experiment. And, I would, and I'm a big fan of experimentation generally, and I know you are as well. One would be to go home and say, hey, look, I think part of the reason our personal relationship is a little rocky at the moment is because we do a lot of work together and all these connections are crossed and so on. And so let's try a little period where we do a lot less. But then you could do a different experiment in the other direction. You mentioned earlier that question of the day. This podcast is the one thing that you don't that you do that's not with her. So w- what if you were to kick me out of this chair for like a week or two and do it with Claudia? And if it turns out that you guys then are having a raging, screaming, gouging out the eyeballs fight every day, that too would prove the uh, the issue. Well, I appreciate both those suggestions. I. Don't really like either of them. <laughs> you know why? And I'm just being honest. You said the way this started is you said is good morning, implying is I should say good morning, like the traditional thing. Well, and it hasn't been a good morning. And uh both those I'm being honest, just both those suggestions make me sad. And not every mm-hmm. not every question has to have a good answer. But I do like the part where to be able to sit with sadness and and see how see how it goes, not react to it. Like, you know, uh, uh, not to br- you brought up the Talmud, so I'll bring up Buddhism. I'm not any ism personally, but the key to... You were bu- praising Mennonites earlier. <laughs> right, so... Off mic. The key to, to Buddhism, when you get right down to what he actually said, is that things happen in the world that want to make you react, and the key is to not react to them. And he uses the story of... Uh, uh, a Buddhist sage walks through a town, notices everything there, and then leaves the town and nothing has changed in the town. So that's how I would close. I I, I really like the idea of um, not feeling compelled to react. I mean, that's what we've been talking about a little bit more specifically today, but just generally. Yeah. uh, and, And I think that's a really healthy thing to do. I think that in an age when everybody's got a megaphone, large or small, it's very natural to the minute you see something yeah, or right. feel something that you feel, you know what, I've got to announce and my you, response. And, you know, we didn't start off with a the typical Quora question or whatever, but good morning is often the first question mm. everyone hits in the day. So, good morning. Yeah, good morning, James. Hey, listen to a clip from the next question of the day in just a moment. But first... Stop the stress caused by invoices, expense reporting, and time tracking. Stay effortlessly organized and spend less time on paperwork with FreshBooks. FreshBooks will make creating and sending invoices, organizing your expenses, and tracking your billable hours the easiest part of your workday. Go to freshbooks.com question for your free 30-day trial. On the next question of the day... Have you ever called a woman five times in a row in a minute and said, please talk to me, and she would hang up each time? I'm afraid I haven't. Really? Okay, well, I have. Let's say there's been a hundred times that I've done that. and You've done that a hundred times? You've called someone five times, or you've called one person a hundred times? Probably a little bit of both. Wow. Yeah. (laughs) You're right. You are very immature. I have to agree with you now. so, So probably a lot of that comes from 
fear of abandonment or fear of insecurity or fear of some sort of loss. 